The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from the book of John, chapter 16, verses 25 to 33. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lily, for reading that passage for us this morning. My name is Russ Ramsey. If we haven't met, I'm the pastor at Christ Pres Cool Springs, and we're doing a good old-fashioned pastor swap uh, this morning. Todd Teller is preaching there, and I get to be here. Uh, It's a joy to be with you. Okay, I don't know what is going to happen to you this year. I don't know what has happened to you already this year, but it's very possible that things will come into your life, have maybe already, will before this year is over, that will take you by surprise, uh, that will be more than you imagine you can endure. And today's text is about that. And in this passage, the love of Jesus Christ for you is on display in ways that are profound and profoundly beautiful. You know there's beauty everywhere. There's beauty everywhere. For a while now in John's gospel in this sermon series, John has been talking about Jesus in the upper room and Jesus has been telling his disciples a lot of things because he's preparing them. And he's preparing them to leave because he knows he's about to leave them and he's telling them this and they're trying to catch up with what he's saying but they don't have categories for it. They don't know that he's about to be arrested that night. They don't know that he's about to be crucified. They don't know that in just a few days he's going to be risen from the grave and that the world is going to change. 
and that they're going to get spun off in a direction where they're going to be bearing fruit and being as witnesses in the world in ways that they can't begin to understand. And Jesus is telling them as many different ways as he can about these things that are going to happen, and they are unable to get their minds around it. And so here in this passage, he says, I know that I have spoken to you largely in parable, in figurative language, in imagery, but the time is coming and has come when I'm going to start speaking to you in very plain language. And it's not a moment too soon for the disciples because they're starting to wonder, really wonder, how in the world is this supposed to work if you leave? And so he speaks plainly to them, and he speaks clearly to them. But even as he does it, they don't understand what he's saying. But they think they do. And this is the story of anybody who follows Jesus Christ, as he says things to us, and we have moments where we say, I think I know what you're saying to me. And then we discover later, oh, I didn't, I didn't understand. And this is a place where the beauty of the love of Jesus Christ shines through in this passage. How God responds to a people who are like this. Show of hands, how many of you have summited a 14er? All right, I see a few, I see a few hands. Okay, I love climbing 14ers. A 14er is a mountain with an elevation higher than 14,000 feet which is roughly 2.6 miles above sea level. Colorado is where you will find the most of these. There are some in California and Alaska, but Colorado has 53 of them. And I have summited 11 so far. I'm doing the math. I don't think I'm gonna get all 53. <laughs> but I'm gonna keep going. And every so often, I get to take somebody with me, somebody who's never done one. A lowlander. <laughs> and when I have the opportunity to do this, I take time to explain what this is going to be like. And so I'm going to explain to you what it's like to summit a 14er. And those of you who have summited a 14er are going to know what I'm talking about, and those of you who have not are not going to know what I'm talking about. So I start with the joy, because it's absolutely glorious. I was just a few minutes ago looking at photos of the last time I went on a 14er to get myself back in that place. And it's just, it's amazing. You, you can see forever. And there are these trails that are just like little ribbons of truth that you walk, and they take you up and up and up. It's this world of stone and moss and willow thickets and mountain goats and pikas and marmots playing in the rocks. And you feel yourself changed when you get to the summit. It's nothing like it. And then I talk about the plan. The plan is this. We're going to get to the trailhead. There's, there's a trailhead that will be the beginning of the route. Most of the trailheads are somewhere between 9,000 and 11,000 feet. Somewhere around 12,000 feet you get above tree line. And that's when it starts to get really, really good. And it's, 
the air is different, the atmosphere, the sun, the cold. It's a different kind of cold even than, than you're used to when you're at a lower elevation. We start early. We start early enough that we can get to the summit before noon, which is really important because almost every day uh, thunderheads form and blow in over the mountains in the early afternoon, mid-afternoon, and you do not want to be up there when that's happening. And so you want to get to the summit by noon so that you can begin to make your descent. And then I go over things like how do you dress, what do you put in your day pack, what do you carry? The sun's brighter than you're used to, the wind can be really, really strong, the temperature can be really, really low, and so we talk about what to pack, what to bring, you need calories, you need water. And after all of this, I get to the part that is why I'm really telling them and why I'm telling you. Because the most important part is describing how you're likely going to feel when you do this. And that'll take you by surprise. Because it's this rush of exhilaration and abject misery. It's awful. Up in that altitude, there isn't as much oxygen. You're going to get winded really, really quickly. And you're going to wonder, what body am I in? It's going to feel like you rented a body and put your brain in it down at the trailhead, and it's not doing what you're used to your body doing. You're going to, no matter how in shape you may think you are, you're going to get humiliated. You're going to feel like you haven't gotten off the couch and taken a walk around your neighborhood in a year. And then you're probably going to have, at some point, feelings of despair an existential crisis. And the time when that happens for most is when you're on the trail and you're feeling the exertion and you're starting to get tired and finally the summit comes into view and it is so far away that you just think, how in the world is this rented body that I'm in right now going to get up to the top of that from where I'm standing here? without dying. Anybody want to go? Am I talking you into it? Here's how you climb a 14er. I'm going to tell you. You do not climb a 14er by going from the trailhead to the summit. You climb a 14er by going from landmark to landmark. That's how you get to the top. Landmark to landmark. When you're out of breath, when you're sapped of strength, you stop and you breathe and you breathe until there's oxygen in your body again and then you look up the trail a hundred feet and you find a rock or a carn or a bend in the trail something and you just walk to that and then you stop and you put your hands on your knees and you gasp for air until you have oxygen again and then you go to the next landmark and then you just do that over and over and over until you're standing on the summit. And that's how you get to the top of a 14er. It is miserable. And it is wonderful at the same time. Now, I say all that to people that I'm taking up to a 14er for the first time. I don't say it so that they will know what to expect. 
because they can't. If I said this to you and you nodded and said, got it, what I would think is, no, you don't. You don't, you don't got it. You may think you do, but you don't. I'm telling you this, and I tell people this, so that you will understand what it's like when you do it. And that the temptation to quit when it comes over you because you feel like this body that you're in hates your guts comes over you, you're going to have a category to understand what you're experiencing and not fall into despair. And so when you find yourself wanting to just sit down on a rock and cry, you can sit down on a rock and cry. And then you can stand up and you can walk to the next thing that's 100 feet ahead. But no matter how well I try to explain what it will be like until you are on the trail, you can't really understand. You have to experience it. This is what Jesus is doing in this text. In this passage, he is telling his disciples, there are things that are coming, and I'm telling you about them now, and you're telling me you hear me, and I'm telling you you don't really hear me, but you will. You'll understand. You'll experience these things. And in this passage, he begins with a couple of really important things at the beginning of the passage that he talks about. The first thing is he tells them, listen, when you pray, you're going to spend a lot of time in prayer. When you pray, I want you to know that it's, it doesn't work like this. It's not that you pray, and I hear your prayers, and then I run it up the flagpole to an unloving God in the hopes that he will answer them because I'm asking. I'm telling you that when you pray, the Father hears you, and he listens, and he answers your prayers, and the reason he does is because he loves you. He loves you, and he knows that you love me, and he loves me. And then the second thing he says is he says, you're wondering who I am and where I'm from, and what I'm doing here, and there's a lot that's gonna happen, and I'm telling you, I came from God, I voluntarily entered this world, I'm voluntarily leaving this world, and I'm going back to the Father. And when he says these things to them, they look at him and they have this moment where they say, oh, finally, we understand, finally, we believe. And here's the love of Jesus. He does not say, you better. Instead, what he says is, yeah, I know you think you do, but you don't. Things are going to happen that night within hours that are going to shake them up in ways that they can't imagine. And then they are going to respond to those things that happen in ways that they can't imagine. And they are going to wonder, can I even keep going? And what Jesus is saying to them here is something that he knows they can't understand yet. But that's not the point. He gives them these words now so that they will have them later when they need them. 
And that is the love of Christ for you. Think about it. We're talking about the words of Jesus. Jesus gives us his word and we, we study it, we read it, we commit it to memory, we hide it away in our hearts, and for some of it, we know exactly what to do with it. But also, if you are a reader of the book, you will spend your entire life mining the depths of what is there, and you will only be scratching the surface. But in there, Jesus tells us things we need before we need them so that when we need them, we have them. Why would he do this? He tells us. He tells us in the passage why he does this. It's because he loves us and he knows what's in our hearts, right? What's in their hearts? What's in the disciples' hearts when he tells them this? The disciples profess their faith in Jesus and they say, finally, at last, because you're speaking clearly, we understand. And Jesus says to them, actually, behold, the hour has come when you, who are professing your unwavering faith in me, this newfound faith, the hour is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. What a thing for Jesus to tell his disciples. You think you believe and you're actually going to abandon me. What is he doing? He's forecasting for them what the trail ahead is going to be like. He's forecasting what would amount to nothing less than a colossal collapse in their fidelity to Jesus. Commentator F.F. Bruce said this about this passage. He said, Jesus, quote, could assess the strength of their belief in him. Jesus can assess the strength of your belief in him and my belief in him. He knows the constitution of our faith. And Bruce says, it was sincere and genuine, bound with their love for him, but it was about to be exposed to a test such as they had not imagined. And for all their faith and love, they would abandon him in the hour of his greatest need. They are about to leave him alone. They're about to reach a point on that trail where they are going to fail colossally. They're about to react in a way that will make them question the worthiness of the love of Jesus for them. And to this, Jesus offers his friends unimaginable comfort because what does he say? He says, you will leave me alone and you will all scatter. And then he says this, you will leave me alone and yet I'm not alone. I'm not alone for the Father is with me 
What is he saying to them? Remember the context. Remember, upper room, he's about to be arrested. The disciples are going to scatter. Everything's going to fall down on them as far as they're concerned, what they can understand. It's just going to all fall apart. And Jesus is saying, you're going to respond in a way where you're going to abandon me in my greatest hour of need, and then you are going to be saddled with the guilt of having left me alone, me who you love, leaving me alone in my hour of greatest need. And what I'm telling you right now is when you do that, I want you to know that I wasn't actually alone. I wasn't actually alone. What is the mercy in that? The mercy in that is they will consider abandoning the climb, and to this Jesus tells them, listen, you need to understand something. I do not look to you or rely on you for my comfort. Jesus tells his disciples that he does not rely on them for his comfort. He's not alone. They'll leave him alone, but he won't be alone. And this, you know what we're talking about right now? Doctrine. It's doctrine. Jesus is giving us doctrine. What is he doing? He's addressing the question of what does Jesus need from you in order for him to love you. I don't know what's going to happen to you this year. I don't know what has happened to you this year. What does Jesus need from you in order to love you? Does he need you to be perfect? Does he need you to be unwavering in your faith? Does he need you to be the one disciple that he can count on? The one who will stand when all the others around fall? Jesus is saying to us, my comfort comes from the Father, and he is with me, and he is always with me. And then to finish the job of breaking our hearts, Jesus goes on to say, the reason I'm telling you this is so that in me you may have peace. When you do the unimaginable and you wonder if you're worthy of my love, I'm telling you, I don't rely on you for my comfort or stability. And the reason I'm telling you that is so that when you do this unimaginable thing and there is no peace in your heart anymore, that you will find it again in me in the steadiness and the stability of who I am to you. In response to their failure, Jesus is telling them three things. He's saying, first, I know that you're about to abandon me. First, I know you're about to abandon me. You don't, but I do. Second, he says, when you do, I'm not gonna be alone. And the third thing he says is, the reason I want you to know that I know you will abandon me And I want you to know that I will not be alone is so that you can find peace on the other side of this failure that's coming. Because they will find themselves on a trail, exposed and weak and and, and unable to reconcile who they thought they were with who they're proving to be. And they will despair and want to quit. Simon Peter. Simon Peter Jesus was Simon Peter's best friend. They were inseparable. They were were tight. 
Simon Peter, hours from now, is going to swear up and down that he'd never even met the man as Jesus is beaten and led away to die. And then he is going to have to do something with the ensuing torment that comes from his failure. And to him, because he's one of the people that Jesus is speaking to, to him, Jesus says, when that happens, find your peace in me. Find your peace in me. And this is the comfort of Jesus. This is the comfort he offers us. He says, on the one hand, I do not look to you or rely on you for my comfort. But on the other hand, when you collapse in ways that you never imagined, you can look to me for your comfort. You don't comfort me, but I do comfort you. And then he puts all of this coming failure into context. He says, listen, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, because in this world you will have trouble. In me you'll have peace, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, take heart, because I have overcome this world. If we intend to follow Jesus with our lives, then we will find that the life of following Jesus will be incompatible with the life that this world demands of us. And we will all experience trouble here. Internal trouble, external trouble, relational trouble, spiritual trouble, physical trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. You will. I don't know what's going to happen to you this year. What do we need to know and cling to when the world falls apart? When outside forces seem to just be too much, when your inner constitution proves to be too weak, we need to know where to go for comfort. We need to know where to go for peace. We need to know how to keep going when all we want to do is sit down on a rock and cry. And we need to know why there is hope. Remember what Jesus is about to do. He is in the process of laying down his life for his people. He is accomplishing our redemption. And he has promised that he will apply that redemption through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means there is no scenario, there is no scenario in which Jesus is depending on us to save ourselves. There is no scenario in which Jesus is counting on you to save you. But he knows we need saving. And that's exactly what he's doing. That's what he's doing. He's saying this. He's saying, listen, let me tell you what this journey will be like. There will be times when you won't know if you can keep going. You won't know if you should keep going. You'll feel like you can't breathe. You'll feel like you can't take another step. Stop and rest in what I'm telling you now. You don't have to be perfect, and I'm not depending on you to be perfect, but you can depend on me 
I'm doing what I'm doing, and this night will unfold with my arrest, and it will lead to my crucifixion, and that will lead to my resurrection, because I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what is in your heart. I know that you love me, and I also know that you are full of duplicity and fear. Take heart. I have overcome all of that. And he tells us all of this knowing what awaits us. What awaits us? A summit. A summit with a clear view of everything that we couldn't see. Everything we couldn't see from our vantage point down below. This world of infinite wonder that will unfold before us and will go on and on and on forever where we have breath in our lungs and we have warmth on our skin and we have peace in our hearts in the presence of our Lord and our King forever, eternally at peace. Let's pray. Father, I do not know what will happen to myself this year. I don't know what will happen to anyone in this room this year. I don't know what has happened in people's lives, but I know, Father, that part of your mercy and your care for us is the reassurance that you are not relying on us for your comfort, but you offer us your comfort. And that in this world we will have trouble. You tell us this so that when trouble comes we have a category for it. And you follow it up in the same breath by saying these two things. That you're telling us this so that we will find our peace in you. And the reason we can find our peace in you is because you have overcome this world. Help us to believe that. Help us to rest in that. Lord, you are merciful and gracious and kind. And we thank you for it. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.